Welcome to Tabled Fables, a podcast about fairy tales. I'm Amy Kraft. And I'm Sophie Bushwick. This month, we meet Cinderella's less passive cousin. She's called Catskin, or Donkeyskin, or Alfer, and she could whoop Cinderella's butt. Once Once upon upon a time, time... Once upon a time, there was a kingdom with a king and a queen and their daughter. But the queen grew sick, and she, as she was dying, she made the king promise that he would only remarry if he married a woman as beautiful and as accomplished as the queen herself was. And then she died. The king mourned for a while, but eventually he decided it was time for him to remarry, and he began searching for someone as beautiful and virtuous as the queen. But there was nobody that good in all of the kingdom, until one day he saw his daughter, who was by now grown up, and he realized that she looked almost exactly like her mother, and he became determined to marry his own daughter. And when he told her of his resolution, she was horrified, and she tried to come up with some impossible task for him. So she asked for him to have her maid address the color of the sun and address the color of the moon and address as bright as the stars and she thought he could never do this but he he called seamstresses and he had these three beautiful dresses made and then she asked him to to make her a fur cloak made with pieces of fur from all the animals in the kingdom and she thought this is impossible but with the help of a lot of underlings he managed to accomplish this task and so finally realizing that nothing she could say could stop him she packed up her beautiful dresses and she threw the cloak over herself to conceal herself, and she ran away. And she went looking for work and got a job as a scullery maid in the castle of a neighboring kingdom. And there she was abused by the, by the cook and the rest of the kitchen staff, and she was the lowest of the low. And she always wore her, her fur coat, so they all called her all fur. And in this kingdom, there was a, a great dance, a ball, and... The whole palace was in an uproar about it, and Alfred asked the cook very, ni- cook very nicely if she could go to the ball just to look at it. And the cook said, no, you dirty girl, what would you do up there? And she, she cuffed her on the ear. But Alfer snuck away, and she swapped her fur for a beautiful dress and washed her hands and face. And she went to the ball, and everyone was like, oh, my God, she's the most beautiful girl ever. And the prince is like, oh, my God, she's the most beautiful girl ever. And so he danced with her the whole night, but no matter how much he asked, she wouldn't tell him where she came from. And at the end of the night, she she ran away, and the prince didn't know where she had gone. But what she had done is run away and slipped back into her fur cloak and run back to the kitchen. And the prince was so distraught by losing this girl that he said, you know what, I, we need to have another another ball, and hopefully she'll show up again. They have another ball, and she shows up to this one wearing her second dress. And everyone says, oh my god, she's so beautiful. And the prince dances with her all night, but again, she doesn't give any information away, and she runs away. So for the third ball, the prince says, all right, I want you to make this let's play the music extra long so I have as long as as possible with this maiden. And so, again, she shows up wearing this dress as bright as the stars, which was the most beautiful of her three dresses, and no one can take their eyes off her, and the prince dances with her all night, and at the end of the night, he manages to slip his own ring onto her finger before she runs away. And so she, she but she's very late. She's run, has to run back to the kitchen, and she's she doesn't really have time to dirty her face up and she doesn't have time to take the dress off she just sort of throws the cloak on over the dress and the cook says what took you so long we need you to to bake a cake for the prince and so she bakes a cake but she puts the ring from the prince that the prince gave her into the batter 
And so when the prince receives the cake, he finds his own ring in it. He says, who baked this cake? Who baked this cake? And the cook comes up from the kitchen and says, oh, it was only the little scullery maid all for And he said, bring her to me. And when she showed up, he knew that she was the, the beautiful woman from the night before because she had given him the ring. And so she took the cloak off, and there she was in her beautiful dress, the color of the stars. And the prince married her, and they lived happily ever after. The end. I wasn't sure whether to tell this version or a version with the donkey that poops gold, but whatever. This one works. <laughs> so the tale of Catskin falls under the umbrella of the Cinderella tale type, but it's a distinct subset of Cinderella tales. If you enjoy the Arne Thompson tale type index, it's tale type 510B. And Catskin is a version written down by Joseph Jacobs. It's an English version. And the Brothers Grimm version is called Alfer. And there's also a French version that Perrault wrote down called Donkey Skin. Now the question is, how did Perrault come to have this particular narrative? And the answer is quite clear. There were two earlier collections in which stories appeared that he used. He put them together and made his story, Donkey Skin, which then became the one we all know. The first one was by a man named Giovanni Francesco Straparola, and it appeared in the 1550s, and it was called Tobaldo. And it was a straightforward sort of reworking of an old medieval miracle tale in which a father wanted to marry his daughter, and she escaped in a chest, and then she was... The chest was bought by a king and put in his room, and every day she came out of the chest when he was gone and cleaned his room. And eventually he recognizes her, marries her, she has children, and her wicked father then hears about this, comes to England, which is where she is, and murders the children, makes it seem as though she murdered her own children, and then she's buried up to her armpits in, in dirt just so that she'll suffer and die a lingering death. And eventually her old nurse hears about this, comes to England, tells the king she's released, and then the king goes to find the father and kill him. And this is, this is a cool story. At first, I couldn't really make the connection between Cinderella and Donkey Skin and the similarities in there. You've got the highborn girl who's forced to work as a drudge, um, who cleans up and enchants a prince, who's living a double life. She's got two identities. Her identity is the beautiful, mysterious maiden, and her identity as the, the ash girl or the girl in the fur cloak who has to work as a servant. And the fact that the prince finds her despite her rags because there's that perfectly fitting accessory. And finally, you've got the bad parents, either the bad father or the evil stepmother. Then scrub the terrace, sweep the halls and the stairs. Yeah, I feel like there's a bad father in Cinderella and Catskin because the bad father in Cinderella is the absent father. You know, someone Mm -hmm. that we don't see at all. He's not there. Um, We're not sure if he's still alive. Uh, Some versions of Cinderella have the father dead already when when the story starts like and in the disney version exactly or and other versions just make no mention of him say that he remarried and you know this stepmother took over and she's kind of the taskmaster of the house and he's non-existent and then the difference in in catskin is that you have a father who perhaps is wanting to lavish way too much attention on his own daughter um and he's you know in some versions of the tale you say that that there are different um, different versions somewhere 
he immediately wants to marry the daughter and others where he's kind of like ho-hum and, oh, well, I guess I can't find the most beautiful girl in the land or someone as beautiful as my wife. And then it's like, I have no choice but to marry my daughter. The idea of incest, father-daughter incest, appears much earlier in tales from the, uh, I think, the late Roman period, and then continues in various saints' tales and secular tales in, in the medieval period. The interesting thing in Catskin is that there there seems to be no repercussions for the father's wrongdoing. Yeah, a lot of the times the father just appears again, he's found again, and goes to the wedding and doesn't suffer any punishment for being horrible. Yeah. In some versions of the of the Catskin tale, the reason the girl leaves home isn't because her father wants to marry her, but it's because he administers, it's like a King Lear test. He forces his three daughters to tell him how much they love him. And the oldest two say, oh, I love you more than gold, I love you more than jewels, and, and this, the Catskin character says, oh, I love you more than meat loves salt. Or I, I love you more than some sort of metaphorical thing. And th- the father's furious, he thinks she doesn't really love him, he kicks her out. She goes through the, the motions of a catskin tale, finds her prince, marries him, invites the dad to the wedding. And at the wedding, she feeds the dad food, unsalt, an unsalted meal. And so the father kind of like learns his lesson that way, and then they're reconciled. That's the one that's in, like the King Lear version uh, in terms of asking the daughter how she loves him. And, she, and it's so basic to her that she hits upon a very basic thing and says, I love you as meat loves salt. This is part of the incredible richness of each story's tradition. There's kind of a core plot for each story, and then as stories get passed on, they get embellished and changed with whatever that author can bring to a story. It's a good metaphor for... um you know, not realizing what you've had until it's gone. Yeah, that is. And that's what the father goes through. He kicks his daughter out and then he says, oh, no, I miss her. Yeah, yeah. I had steak last night. And <laughs> let me tell you, there was a lot of salt on that. As it should be. <laughs> so character of the heroine, Cinderella versus Donkey Skin. I think we can agree that Cinderella is way more passive. Yeah. In an arm wrestling contest, I would vote for Catskin. <laughs> And, and the, the problem I have is that Cinderella is really the uber princess. When I picture a fairy tale princess, I picture Cinderella before I would picture Snow White or Sleeping Beauty. She's sort of the exemplar of the princess story. And because she's sort of held to this standard, I find it kind of saddening that she's so passive, that the lesson you're teaching the girl, the girls, like the perfect princess, is a princess who kind of sits on her butt and lets things happen to her. And just looks pretty. Yeah. Now, Cinderella, how, do we, how does she become the people's princess? Disney essentially made his Cinderella figure into, a, into an outlying figure. And by having her not personalized in particular ways, that is, she, she doesn't, she's not individualized. She's a kind of every girl. And I think that is really responsible for the popularity of the Disney figure because every girl can pour her life, her experiences, and her emotions into that figure and thus enter into the Cinderella plot herself. 
But, you know, although we do kind of get get stuck in talking about how um, the story is about, you know, domesticating little girls. Teaching and lessons. Teaching teaching lessons. There's also the, the fantasy aspect of the story, which we should just at least mention. Um, whereas, you know, we, we m- might just want to close our eyes and pretend for a little while that, that life is easy like this and, and that life is fun and there's a prince and you can go off to a ball and the prince, you know, will come out and search for you you know that dreams come true right and that dreams come true yeah I, I think it's easy I, I i fall into the trap a lot of taking these tales very seriously and talking about sort of the symbolism and the um the implications of the morals but i mean if i think back to my childhood self i don't think i took the morals of these tales seriously at all i think i loved them as stories but i don't think i necessarily took the characters as role models or modified my behavior to match theirs mm-hmm Sometimes stories are just there for entertainment. I mean, a lot of these tales started out as not just stories for kids and not morals. That was when people started writing them down. Back when these were part of the oral tradition, these were entertainment. It was TV and radio and and movies. It was it was what you did when it was dark outside and you had nothing to do. Right. You sat around and you told each other stories. And, and this s- is how you you got out of yourself too. Yeah, you if you if you're working every day um if you're working every day in domestic chores in real life, it's, I mean, imagine being taken off by a prince to live a life of luxury. All your hard work is rewarded and you never have to work again. Mm-hmm. So I, I can see the idea of the, this as a fantasy escape would be valuable. And that is borne out by some research I've just been doing about Cinderella rewrite post, post-Disney and the way authors refer to the Cinderella figure and they do so by using generalized terms. I'm just sort of in the middle of working this all out right now, so this is <laughs> this is up-to-the-minute uh, research that I'm working on. And I've been looking at, at Cinderella stories written for young children, not young adult stuff, but the little books for, for early readers. And they typically refer to Cinderella as a girl, without or poor girl, poor in the sense of suffering girl. And the and and she is the same kind of hollowed out character that she is in Disney that makes it easy for readers to identify with her. And and that's the process we see by which Cinderella becomes the people's princess. But I think that recently, I, I think people have noticed that the traditional version of Cinderella isn't isn't exactly ideal. I mean, Anne Sexton has a poem where she critiques that sort of passivity, passivity and the sort of the falseness of that image of that princess version. Mm-hmm. And Do- you've got other authors who reclaim the tale by recasting it with a strong female heroine. Uh, Ella Enchanted by Gail Carson Levine is a book I really loved um, when I was younger, still do. It's, uh, it, it, it casts our, our heroine is, um, she's much more active and she's strong-minded, but she's cursed that she must be obedient. So if anyone tells her to do anything, she must do it. So that kind of sidesteps our passive, our passive problem by making it, she has to be obedient because it's a curse, but she tries to get around it. She, she tries to get around her curse by by with, with her with will and with sneaking around it and with she she manages to um she manages to break the curse herself 
because she's such because she's badass. I, I think she's <laughs> I think she's a great character. I really like that story. God, that sounds awful to to have that <laughs> curse just follow you around. There, there's another version of rec- more recent story called Cinder, where Cinderella is a cyborg in this futuristic society, and Hello. this this is a book by Marissa Welcome Mayer, back. and it's it's another one where you've got a more active, strong-willed hero, and I think it's great that that we're not only making more versions of Cinderella, but we're making versions of Cinderella where we've got a more a better role model mm-hmm. in the title role. If we really want to want to be super feminist and take the story over, we could try to make Catskin more popular again. I, I've just wondered why Catskin isn't more popular than Cinderella, or doesn't hasn't reached you know a level of popularity because it is such an interesting tale. I guess they they probably want to play down the whole father lusting after daughter role, especially in a tale that's ostensibly for children. Well, let's talk about how Donkey Skin disappeared. That's a story that you really can't make acceptable in today's world. For presentation to young kids. You just don't want to hand them tales of incest. Incest survived or incest not survived. And there's some of these, some of the earlier tales are about the the unfortunate deaths that are that that the heroine and her incestuous father experience. Um, so it's just not it's just not a tale for the twentieth or twenty first century. I mean, I mean, I guess that that I think that's definitely a big part of it. You don't really want to be talking about taboo issues with kids, but I mean, maybe some of it is just the lessons that we choose to teach our children. I mean, mm-hmm. for for most of of our history, it's sort of you you do want to teach a woman to be teach her that she's good in the domestic sphere and she's good hearted and she's beautiful. She'll be rewarded. I think it's great that Cinderella will never die, but hopefully the passive version will. That's all the time we have for this story. Hope you enjoyed both parts, Cinderella and Catskin. Please join us next time. Uh, We'll be talking about Beauty and the Beast, and presumably we'll pregame by watching the Disney version of that as well. (laughs) If if you'd like to learn more about our podcast, you can visit us on our website at tabledfables.tumblr.com. You can email us at tabledfables at gmail.com. And our Twitter handle is tabledfables. All right, I think we're done.